0: Hello, this is the Historically Thinking Commonplace book for the week of April 7th, 2019. If you like these podcasts and our weekly conversations, then why not give us a review on iTunes? It's the best thing you can do to help others find this podcast. In the annals of American civil rights, on April 9th, 1865, after roughly 655,000 American deaths, the Civil War began to come to an end, as General Robert E. Lee surrendered his Army of Northern Virginia to Ulysses S. Grant in the village of Appomattox courthouse. Further Confederate armies then began to surrender, the last to do so on June 23, 1865, in Indian Territory. A year later, on April 9, 1866, the Senate overrode a veto by Andrew Johnson to pass the Civil Rights Bill of 1866, granting African Americans the rights and privileges of US citizenship. And on April 11th, 1968, a week after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, the Civil Rights Act of 1968 was signed into law by Lyndon B. Johnson, a law prohibiting discrimination in housing, protecting civil rights workers, and expanding the rights of Native Americans. In the history of the Second World War, April 10th has a gruesome association with atrocities It was on April 10, 1942, that the Bataan Death March began as American and Filipino prisoners were forced by their Japanese captors on a six-day march from an airfield in Bataan to the camp near Cabanatuan. Some 76,000 Allied POWs marched 60 miles under a blazing sun without food or water to the POW camp, resulting in American deaths only, over 5,000, and many more Filipinos died. On April 10, 1945, the Nazi concentration camp at Buchenwald was liberated by advancing United States troops. Buchenwald had been established near Weimar in July 1937 to hold criminals and became one of the first major concentration camps for Jews, gypsies, and homosexuals used as a slave labor center for nearby German companies. Of a total of 238,980 Buchenwald inmates, 56,545 perished. In the history of technology, on April 7, 1969, the internet was born, more or less. On that date, the Advanced Research Projects Agency, now known as DARPA, awarded a contract to build a packet-switching network to BBN Technologies The result was ARPANET, which allowed a single communications line to be used by a number of different receivers and transmitters. On April 11, 1970, Apollo 13 was launched from Cape Kennedy at 2.13 p.m. 56 hours into the flight, the oxygen tank in the service module exploded. John L. Swigert saw a warning, light accompanying the bang, and said, Houston, we've had a problem here. The lunar module was then transformed into a lifeboat by Swigert, James A. Lovell, and Fred Hayes, and they began their perilous return to Earth, splashing down safely on April 17th. And three events of technological history on April 12th. In 1937, Frank Whittle successfully tested an aircraft jet engine in Great Britain. He beat Hans von Ohain by just a few months, but it would be the German engineer. Who first whose engine first powered a jet aircraft. On April 12, 1961, Russian cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin became the first human in space, traveling on Vostok 1 to an altitude of 301 kilometers above the Earth in a single orbit lasting 108 minutes. And on April 12, 1981, Space Shuttle Columbia launched with astronauts John Young and Robert Krippen aboard the first orbital flight by the space shuttle and by the United States since 1975. Columbia spent 54 hours in space, made 36 orbits, and then landed at Edwards Air Force Base in California. Birthdays. April 8th is celebrated as the birthday of the Buddha, whose dates were approximately 563 to 483, so recognized by the estimated 350 million persons around the world who profess the Buddhist faith. April 13th is the birthday of a neighbor of mine just a few miles away who's been dead since 1826. Thomas Jefferson was born April 13th, 1743 in Albemarle County, Virginia. Author, inventor, lawyer, politician, architect, and president of the United States from 1801 to 1809. He died July 4th, 1826, the same day as John Adams. Historians We don't know when Polybius was born. He lived from approximately 200 to 118 BC. He was a Greek, a cavalry commander of the Achaean League who became in time a historian of the rise of the Roman Republic. He is now often seen in just two ways as either the finest or the most boring of all historians. One suspects that he was so regarded at the time since he treated with disdain those competitors who never sacrificed a good story if it came in conflict with facts. Here is Polybius aiming his ire at a contemporary, contemporary, Philarchus. It sounds like an academic historian today attacking a journalist who has published a bestseller on history, which is a compilation of hackwork and sensationalism. And note that Polybius is making an argument about historical thinking. In his eagerness to arouse the pity and attention of his readers, Philarchus treats us to a picture of clinging women with their hair disheveled and their breasts bare, or again of crowds of both sexes together with their children and aged parents weeping and lamenting as they are led away to slavery. This sort of thing he keeps up throughout his history, always trying to bring horrors vividly before our eyes. But let us consider how far such a treatment is proper or serviceable to history. A historical author should not try to thrill his readers by such exaggerated pictures, nor should he, like a tragic poet, try to imagine the probable utterances of his characters or reckon up all the consequences probably incidental to the occurrences with which he deals, but he should simply record what really happened and what really was said, however commonplace. For the object of tragedy is not the same as that of history, but quite the opposite. The tragic poet should thrill and charm his audience for the moment by the verisimilitude of the words he puts into his characters' mouths, but is the task of the historian to instruct and convince for all time serious students by the truth of the facts and the speeches he narrates, since in the one case it is probable, the probable that takes precedence, even if it be untrue, in the other is the truth, the purpose being to confer benefit on learners. Apart from this, Philarchus simply narrates most of such catastrophes and does not even suggest their causes or the nature of these causes, without which it is impossible in any case to feel either legitimate pity or proper anger. That's Polybius from His Histories, Book 2. And this has been the Commonplace Book for the week of April 7, 2019. Why don't you like us on Facebook? Recommend us to a friend or a family member who shares your passion for history. Until next time, I'm Al Zambone. Brighten the corner where you are. Thank you.